0: Creative journey, it's easy to get lost, but don't worry, you'll lift off. Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk. Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Pizza. I don't know if it feels like this to you, but to me it feels like the only metric of creative success today that the mainstream is really keeping track of is, did it or did it not go viral? Like, how many views does it have? How many likes did it have? Wow, that many views? Wow, I'll pay attention. Wow, it must be something of note. I mean, is it just me, or does that feel like the only litmus test for whether something is good in the mainstream public's view? If this is true, if, you know, if it's good, it will go viral. If it didn't go viral, it's not good. You have two options as a creator. You either try to go viral with your creative work or you just accept that your work sucks or at least will not be seen as good and see if you can keep showing up to the blank page day after day and stay motivated to make stuff when you are convinced that your work sucks. Now, spoiler alert, you probably won't stay motivated. Who wants to finish a day's work and be like, "Well, another bad day's work that nobody cares about"? Like that, that's that takes a, a certain kind of weird fuses not functioning quite right in your brain for that to to keep going, because we're social animals. We know we're on borrowed time. If you're spending insane amounts of time on stuff that you're convinced sucks and is no use to anybody, that is not a long-term strategy for disciplined, motivated, creative making. So what do you do? You don't try to go viral. You don't accept that your work sucks. You go for the invisible third option that we're going to talk about in this episode today. But before we do that, quick word from the old and the new sponsors. So we got our first Factor Meals, and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how, when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor Meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low-calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash talk 50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash talk 50 to get 50% off. Hey, this is part five of our Human Rhythms Over Algorithms series. I told you part four was going to be the last one, but I lied to you because we have one more. It's a bonus. It was just something I felt like we couldn't leave unsaid, which was addressing the, the pressure of going viral. This whole series is about how being more in tune with the rhythms of your humanity is more likely to get your best workout and, and serve your creative practice and, and creative career even even more than, being tuned into what the algorithm wants uh, what the online tech companies tech giants want you to do and how they want you to create Uh, this is all just reminders of how do we get back into the creative rhythms of our humanity this is part five and i promise the final part of this series let's go Chapter one, changing everything is a dangerous dance. And I know from experience, I've done that dance. <laughs> if you're feeling the pressure to go viral or just accepting that your work sucks, or you're just super far away from where you want to be, the notion that you could change it all in an instant with the right TikTok dance can be a very distracting thing for you as a creator. I totally get that, but I feel like it's a dangerous thing to play with. Now, when you're really not where you want to be, instead of trying to change everything overnight with just one dance, I think it's more helpful to look for places to invest in your creative practice that have a high likelihood of paying off over time. Like, the things that you know, if I show up every single day and do this, in five years, I'm going to be in in a totally different place than I am now. Uh, Almost certainly. Like, those are really powerful investments to make. But it's hard. It's hard to do that right now. And I think it's kind of hard to do it because I feel like maybe we are living in a dystopian version of the 80s movie, the Keanu Reeves movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. A lot of people think like, man, we're living in the Matrix. And I'm like, no, we're living in a totally different Keanu timeline. Uh, And it's what if Bill and Ted's Adventure had been a tragedy? Like, do you know that movie? It's where George Carlin comes back in time to help Bill and Ted pass their history report so they don't get separated into different schools and they can stay together so they can create the band that... Creates the song that changes the world. Eventually, your music will help put an end to war and poverty. Now, in the end, in the actual movie, they travel into the past and they crush their history report with firsthand eyewitness accounts of some of history's biggest moments. It's super epic and, and very excellent. Uh, but I feel like we're living in a time where they didn't pass. Now, I haven't seen the new Bill & Ted movie, so maybe this is the, the the plot of that movie, but I feel like instead of working at the craft, making their music, creating this excellent band, creating the song that changes the world, the the bad guys saw that future play out, and they go back in time before George Carlin. They totally derail his plan and instead create mega tech companies that say, forget about losing yourself in your creative craft and creating music that will change the world. You don't have to do all that. All you need is 15 seconds of a dance that will change everything for you overnight. And Bill and Ted never learned to play guitar that well. They never learned to make that music and they just chase that hint of a possibility that they could just do the right TikTok dance that would change everything. That's the world we're living in right now. And it's just not a very conducive situation for creators because for a lot of us, we got into the creative practice for that introverted, introspective space in front of the potter's wheel, in front of the sewing machine, in front of the drawing table, where we just lose ourselves in that lonesome, beautiful, full space of making. And to say, in order to do that, you've got to get in front of the whole world and and dance your butt off like to, to make it work, like that just doesn't fit. And I'm not saying like, look, I completely, utterly support and believe that dance and performance is as legitimate of a creative outlet as any other. But I would guess that even you are feeling like this timeline and this environment is not conducive to your best creative work. Like just all of that pressure on one post, one dance, it's just not likely to get you to make your best work. I get it. Like this feeling that if my work could go viral, I could have a, uh, the creative practice I always dreamed of. And if I got to do a little dancing, fine. If it's going to change everything, like if I do this right, nothing's ever going to be the same. That is a very tempting proposition, a very distracting proposition. But this viral state of online creativity, I think for most of us, is starting to feel like a popularity contest. And we all know that popularity contests are often mostly about luck and at worst, totally rigged. Now, you're in luck because I just so happen to have personal experience with both popularity and contest because I have had both of those things totally crush my soul as a human, Now, you might have heard me talk about this experience. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you've probably heard me speak about this, but I feel like it illustrates the point quite well, so I want to share it again. Back in the day when I was in high school, I'm ashamed to say it, but the first two years of high school, I was desperate to be popular. I just thought, like, man, if I could just get everyone to like me, then – I'll have that hole in my soul fill up. Uh, You know, little did I know that that hole in my soul is just hormones. Um, But I was just desperate and I would insert myself into social circles and just be like, totes my goats, man, mega dope. What's slapper in y'all. And everyone's like, oh dear Lord. It was, (laughs) you know, I was just that try hard kid desperate to be cool. Then one day I volunteered to take the attendance down to the office for one of my teachers and just so happened to be fate had planned that while I was stood there someone from student council just so happened to be posting a sign up sheet for a dance off in front of the whole school and I was struck by the muse, by, by a stroke of genius because I thought I'm going to write down Jamiroquai Canned Heat and do the Napoleon Dynamite dance that he does in front of his high school, in front of my whole high school. I'd just seen the movie. It was hilarious. I was going to blow them all away and I was so desperate to be popular that I was willing to commit an actual crime to do so that's right I downloaded the movie illegally on (laughs) LimeWire who remembers LimeWire I downloaded the movie and every lunch hour for like two weeks, I would go home and learn these dance moves as best as I could. And then the day of the dance off came, I put on my vote for Pedro shirt. I stuffed my feet into these moon boots that were like two sizes too small uh, because they were my <laughs> little brother shoes. Uh, and I went to school. And I stood out in front of the gymnasium with that spotlight on me as they started to play Canned Heat. And boy, did things start heating up. I was hitting every mark. I was lost, possessed by the dance. I was in the zone. And I I was like, maybe this is my thing. And you might be like, hey, how do you know you were in the zone if you've never been in the zone before? Well, I can tell you because it's exactly the way that I'd heard it described a million times. Like the everything just went quiet, like a whole hush went over everything and even after the music stopped, I couldn't hear the cheers of the crowd. Now, you know, I ran to the side just like he does in the movie and I started chilling out coming down, coming out of the zone. And then I thought, wait a second, why is it still quiet? (laughs) Like, what's happening? And I started thinking about it. I thought, hold on a second. What? Something's something's not right here. Now, to just place you in the timeline that we were in at that moment, we were in the place of the Napoleon Dynamite craze where – when I put on that Vote for Pedro shirt, you were probably thinking, you know, something from a Spencer's Gifts or a Hot Topic. But no, neither of those places were selling the shirt yet because the movie hadn't been out that long. And In fact, I had had to drive almost two hours with a couple friends to see it in a different town because they weren't even showing the movie at our local cinema. And I'm stood there thinking, oh my gosh, I thought this dance was going to change everything. And it did because I thought that I would be crowned comedy king by doing the Napoleon Dynamite dance in front of my whole high school. But what actually had happened is I became my high school's real Napoleon dynamite because nobody had seen the movie and actually i had heard that teachers were actively shushing anyone from laughing or cheering uh, because they were like Shh, he thinks this is cool he's this is he's really trying because they didn't have any context they didn't know what the heck was going on and i think that we're all in this moment where we're looking at the sign-up sheet to the dance-off at the office. It's called Instagram Reels or TikTok. And we're thinking this one dance could change everything. But take it from me, it might change things in a way That you're not expecting it might change everything by chasing that viral success day in and day out you might change everything by missing the opportunity to spend the time and get lost in the music and in the band and in the craft that will change the world a few years later if you're listening to this bill and ted don't get distracted by that proverbial virtual carrot in your face I and mean, look, maybe you're a dancer and this is your heyday and of course dance is as legitimate uh, as any other form of creativity, but the odds are you two are feeling a bit crap because even if you're a dancer, you're probably not going viral on a regular basis. You're you're probably also feeling the chase. And maybe you did go viral, but it didn't equal the creative practice that you thought it was going to. It didn't everything changed overnight but it didn't change in the ways that you hoped that it would. And now you forgot why you loved dance in the first place, and you're just forever chasing the high of that viral dance all over again. Now, most people I know that have gone viral did not get the creative practice that they were after because of it. And most people I know that got the creative practice they were after never did so by going viral. But instead, they had a clear picture of what they were after, and they just made baby steps towards that over time. No wild overnight success, just a clear picture of what they were moving towards, and day in, day out, making creative investments, stepping towards that end. Now listen, the tech world is desperate for you to believe that the best way to make it as a creator today is to put all your best efforts into making the kind of super novel, super short form creative content that has the potential to go viral. But they're not convincing you to do that because it's actually in your best interest. It's because it's in their best interest. If they convince you that this is a viable path, guess what? You'll spend all of your best creative energy working for free for the chance of that kind of exposure. And while they take all of that and make tons of cash on the back of your creative work on you filling their platform with your best content without ever having to pay a nickel for it. It's literally like these companies are like a Netflix that doesn't pay for any of its shows or very little of them. And it's excellent for dancing. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't make any content. I'm not saying that you shouldn't share good work online. I'm not even saying that you should not go viral or that you should avoid it. Going viral for the right kinds of things can be an amazing thing for your practice when it happens, but most of that is out of your control. And I think if you are, if you go viral for something that you're prepared to do more of and prepared to take advantage of with proper creative frameworks and habits and business models, it can be an amazing thing. What I am saying is, Focusing all of your creative energy in that place, crazy numbers, crazy views, crazy likes, like putting all your energy there is not most likely in your best interest, but in the best interest of giant tech companies. The internet is a casino. Instagram is a slot machine. When you put everything you have into it and pull down that feed and refresh it, those follows and likes and comments They're not going to be cherry, cherry, cherry or seven, seven, seven jackpot. It's going to be snake eyes. eyes. Snake eyes? Snake eyes? Oh, no! I don't think it works like that. But it's not going to be what you're hoping it's going to be because at the casino, the house always wins. No! I'm ruined! And instead, diversify your effort. It's fine to diversify your portfolio of creative efforts but not gamble it all away hoping that the next dance is going to change everything but instead invest your creative best into places where they are likely to have a return over time. two, don't try to go big, go home. Go home, Roger. In the first section of this episode, we talked about if you put all your creativity and, and embed it and play it out on someone else's turf, be it Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, or even a place like HBO, the house always wins. They're the house. They set up the rules. They set up the rules and the advantages for them to succeed and for it to benefit them. So what do you do? Go bigger? No. I would say go home. Homer. Go Go more home. Go get that home court advantage by bringing your work back to where you used to live in the past. Instead of trying to go viral by making work for everyone on the planet two years into the future, which that whole setup is set up for you to fail. It's an impossible task. Instead of that, Make stuff for you in the past. That is something I know you can do because you know that person. You know their tastes. You know what's going to knock their socks off. And you're a couple years into the future and you have gained all these tools that uh, you've grown in all these ways that are going to blow them away. That's something you can actually achieve. And the cool thing about it is is that if you own it, that you're not some cultural seer who can see in the future and, and know what the mainstream, like what's going to hit big. Like those people, those are the uh, the people that are always predicting the trends and the futures of creativity. They're rarely correct. That game is just an impossible game to win. But what you can win is within your little niche, hyper-focused passion of your creative practice. If you will just own it and trust it, you will be further on that little, tiny, weird tributary of a path in your part of this timeline than anyone else is. And if you will just trust that the work that you love that you're making more than anything else will eventually be caught on to by other people if you'll stick to it and then continue to invest in it and trust your own personal taste and trust your own creativity making for past you you're gonna get to some interesting places now we've spoken in past episodes about how the creative journey like the hero journey really has two distinct parts part one is the quest to find the elixir the kind of work that you're pumped about the kind of stuff that tickles your fancy your own particular lighting up of your creative taste buds but part two is the quest to bring it home and that's what we're talking about instead of going big go home go take it to the people that really need it not to the masses now story structure is kind of magic to me uh, but i think part of its magic is that it works all the way up and all the way down in a story so these parts this, this part one of getting the elixir, part two of bringing it home, you know, the three-act structure of a story, all, the hero's journey, all of those things often work, not just in a whole movie, but they're evident in a scene, they're evident in an act, they're evident in the course of a movie, they're, in, they're evident in an episode of a show, or the whole season, or ultimately a great show that has 10 seasons often has a bigger arc where the first half is about the elixir and the second half is about bringing it home. Like it works all the way up and down and the same is true for your creative practice. There is the finding the elixir of making one painting or one song and bringing it home of showing your spouse or your friend and being like, hey, I made this. Then there's the finding the elixir of making the album and then bringing it home to the base of fans on the tour. Like, all the way up and down, this thing is evident. Now, probably like many artists my age, Death Cab for Cutie is a really big band for me. They have, like, 10 studio albums to date. They started off in this indie emo that was pre-mall emo era of Pacific West Coast alternative music with this fuzzy, lo-fi, autobiographical style of lyrics And they gradually wrote bigger and bigger, cleaner albums, eventually reaching pretty massive mainstream success with songs featured on the OC back in the early 2000s. This was like early going viral for bands like this. And just to put it in perspective of how big they got, their song, I Will Follow You Into the Dark, is their biggest song. It was featured on, you know, huge shows like Grey's Anatomy, Scrubs. It was on Mike Birbiglia's comedy special. Uh, It was in the Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, pre-La La 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 Land rom-com, Crazy Stupid Love, and was even parodied in the Alvin and Chipmunks movie. What's bigger than that? Having Alvin, you know, sing your song. What, What an elixir that song and album must have been. They got huge. They made a few more albums. They pushed their sound further and further from where they started. And in the week that I wrote this episode... They released a new album that was hailed as being what? A return home. You've seen it a hundred times. Like they went back to their original sound. They brought it all the way back and I'm loving it because I'm an early fan of the band. Uh, But the fact remains like going home is a natural part of the process of making one song of making an album of making a career of, of 10 albums And by the way, if somehow Ben Gibbard, you're listening to this show, maybe you're trying to pep yourself up, psych yourself up for that tour of this album, this episode doesn't really apply to you. You don't need to bring it home. Just, you know, instead, maybe just focus on packaging up, signing, sealing, and delivering home that second postal service record. Anyway, bringing it home is an essential part of the creative practice. Uh, and of the creative process. What does going home as the sort of antiviral remedy to the world's viral fever mean for your creative practice? It means instead of trying to rapidly spread your creative work to the masses, it means bringing your work home to just a few people that you know well enough to create for. That often means making something for you. From the past, you know, making something that you know would hit those creative taste buds and light them up just a couple years back. That may mean you quit trying to be the Oprah of making a podcast for 8 billion people and you make a podcast that you got a hunch that eight people are just absolutely going to go crazy for. Because if you get those eight people to go crazy for it, they're not going to keep it quiet. And It might just change everything, not overnight, but over time. So the second way to tap into the type of human creativity that works with your creativity instead of distracts it is to quit trying to go big and just focus on continually bringing it home, continually going home, going into that creative practice of going into the stuff that you love doing the kind of work that you love to do, just trusting that if you will go find those elixirs that you know past you would have gone crazy for, that there'd be a few people out in the world that feel exactly the same way. If you just trust that process, it won't change everything overnight, but it will change things over time. Now let's put it to action. Chapter three, make a passion pitject. No, I didn't just mispronounce project on accident. I did it on purpose and I'm proud of it. Let me explain what I mean. Let's talk about how to bring your creative work home to just a few people that you know are going to love it. Making something that everyone likes could change everything for you, but it's nearly impossible to do on purpose. But making something that's loved by just one person, if they're the right person, that has the power to change everything for you as well. Think about it. You may not be the most incredible gift giver there ever was. Maybe you don't always make the most amazing gift decisions, but I bet there was a time where you sat down and you really worked hard to come up with something incredibly thoughtful for a gift for someone that you knew on an intimate level. Like the more you narrowed it down to the person that you were like, okay, I know this person, I know exactly what they will love, you were probably able to come up with a pretty great gift. And art is a kind of gift. I'm not the first person to say so. Graphic designer James Victoria talks about this a lot. Lewis Hyde wrote a book called The Gift that is all about how art is a gift and not a commodity. Here's why I think that idea has the potential to be really, really powerful when it comes to bringing your creative work home. In my opinion, the end goal of a creative career is to build your practice on the support of a small but diehard group of fans that, that they really subscribe to the work that you do that is your best. This situation means you're not beholden to trends or the whims of a few gatekeepers. It's the most stable practice that there is. And in the coming weeks, we're probably going to talk about a branding project I did with uh, the Work by Work agency for this new Sonos podcast called America's Dead. It's all about the Grateful Dead and the fandom uh, that they have even now today. And that fandom, that's kind of the holy grail of a creative practice, in my opinion. It's the kind of... Fandom that is so stable that it outlasts the artists themselves. Now, that might be the end goal for your creative practice, but that's a long journey. And there are actually some things you can do right now that can make some substantial changes if you will change your targets. And you're going to need some some small wins in the short term to make that long journey. And here's how I suggest doing so. One of the ways to do this is to find a part of your creative business that can be a B2B or business-to-business type creative practice. For a restaurant to thrive, yes, you want to have that Grateful Dead, you know, group of diehard patrons that support your restaurant over the long haul. But starting out, you might need to inject some capital quicker than that. You need some bigger influxes of cash. And to do that, you're going to have to not just have the B2C model, the business-to-customer or business-to-fan model. You may need to sell yourself to some individuals with the power to change your bank account overnight. Because it's not just uh, appealing to the masses that can change everything. If you appeal to the right individual, the the buyers who, you know, in the restaurant situation maybe make the decision of where to cater their work events, this business-to-business relationship or client transaction has the power to change your practice in the short term overnight. So if you're a musician, maybe this means crafting a very particular niche of syncing music for TV shows. Okay, let me get more specific about what I mean by that. Do some research just like you would if you were buying the perfect gift for a loved one. You know, that's what Vince Staples did. He found that the biggest paydays for his practice weren't often the record sales, but actually licensing songs to movies. And he only needs one person to make that decision to change everything for the practice. Then he looked into all the movies that were coming out in the next couple of years and made an album of songs that were perfect for those movies. Now here's how he probably did it. He didn't just say, all right, Disney makes the most money off of movies. I could cash in really. And, uh, they're just going to be doing this new movie disenchanted the sequel to the princess movie enchanted starring Amy Adams, I'll make a song for that. No, that's not what he did. He probably had a Venn diagram in his mind, in his head about what he was searching for. One prerequisite, one circle, was that the movie was likely to feature something like his type of music, like his genre of music. And then two, that it was authentically inspiring. That, you know, you can get into this strategic making of creative work and it can really be stifling. But as long as you're using one prerequisite, one circle in that Venn diagram that says, I'm only going to go look for movies that I'm excited to make a song for and let those things be my creative springboard. Some people find this kind of strategic creative work to be stifling, but I really don't. I find it to be less like homework and more like a creative prompt in its own right. Did those exact movies hire him? Probably not. Did he master plan his way into controlling every single thing that ever happened in his creative career? Probably not. You know, sometimes when creators get these kind of prompts or try to take things into their own hands about their creative future, that sometimes they get uh, stifled because they don't want to control the future. But I can assure you, you won't. The reality was much different than what he had planned for. I'm sure of it. But he had a jumping off point that helped him steer his creative ship to some place that he actually wanted to go. So here's the challenge. I'm calling it a passion pitject. Here's why. Because the band Passion Pit did this back in the day. Very specifically, they created with this mentality, their first band's EP. It's called A Chunk of Change. And it was created as a literal gift for just one person. It was a Valentine's gift for his girlfriend. This specificity of this gift-giving making an album that is a literal gift was so inspiring that it turned into the thing that broke open his career. And I think this kind of specificity of target unlocks your ability not to just throw spaghetti at the walls, throw spaghetti at your TikTok, throw spaghetti at the internet, just hope that something catches on, something has some sticking power, but instead create something that is just tailored for someone that you actually can know with just a little bit of research. So let's imagine that you're making your next project or your next piece of work, even just for one person. And it's someone, an art director, a music buyer for a movie, I don't know, that you can find and target with the perfect passion pitch, that you can make a piece or a song for that one person that you know they're absolutely going to love. Maybe do a little research. When it comes from the heart, I don't think research is creepy. No one's like, you looked at my public Amazon wish list and got the thing that I like? No, no one feels like that. They're like, oh, you thought of me. If it's public info, I think it's fair game. Maybe just research your favorite music buyer. Who's the person that sinks? Incredibly well-suited songs for TV shows. Who's that person that sources all the mega songs for the mega shows that use a lot of the kind of songs like what you make? You know, go find that person, go read about them. Maybe you find out like, oh, what got him into this was Zach Braff's movie Garden State and how that, you know, made all the difference and they wanted to be the person that directed those decisions, and maybe that soundtrack was everything for you too. That's the person to make something for. So what would it look like for you as a musician to start a podcast all about your favorite soundtracks? Each season has as many episodes as the tracks of that soundtrack, and each episode explores one of those songs. That's how you make something tailored to the types of people that are just like you, that love what you love, that have the ability to change everything for you overnight. Not by appealing to millions and billions of people, but appealing to one. By touching the heart and the minds and the creative taste buds of just one person. You don't need to track down this music buyer's address and knock on his door and be like, I made this podcast for you as a Valentine's gift and melted my chewing gum into a vinyl record of the entire season for you to listen to. No, don't be a a creative creep. I'm not telling you to do that. Uh, we're, We're not doing this in any actual creepy way to manipulate anybody. We're doing this as a way to just get some direction, just to get some ideas, some creative prompts that will help us get moving into the direction of the kind of work that we want to be making, of the kind of work that can actually change the game for our practice. Just make the podcast. Send it out there. Release it into the tiny niche media outlet that your work exists in and see what happens. But don't be creepy. Don't be inauthentic. This is a thought exercise. This is a creative prompt to to inspire your next album or inspire your next podcast not to be the inspiration for a future true crime podcast that's all about this creepy creative researcher that made a vinyl record out of his chewing gum for the art buyer no that's not what we're doing here and you know i just want to leave with one more thing I, i always i tell that Napoleon Dynamite story uh, every once in a while on stage or I've told it a couple times in the podcast over the past eight years and it's a silly story and it's a true story but also, of course, there were some people in the audience that knew the movie that I was a total legend for and it did bring some friendship connections and give me some cred with those few people and the more that I leaned into that energy the better my high school experience was and i think that the same is true for your creative practice if you will quit trying to play the biggest role in the play to get all the glory to get all the viral success and instead just try to be a part of something that you're excited about and play your little part in something bigger than yourself it will go a lot better trust me don't learned the hard way, uh, become the real Napoleon dynamite of the internet. Massive. Thanks to our patrons. We couldn't do it without you. A lot of hidden costs to making a podcast and you make it possible. So thanks to everybody that supports the show on Patreon. Huge thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show. Thanks to Sophie Miller, Ryan Appleton, and Katie Chandler for content and podcast assistance of all kinds. Really appreciate you all. And until we speak again, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up.